you dumb, beautiful fucker. Who wants to be in America's slash fit with Abraham Lincoln? Louisiana Purchase, that's a name. You need to really get off my balls, okay? I'm gonna kick your ass. Also, why was Michelangelo so stinky? Ew. Episode 202 of the Y'all Gonna Hear Podcast. I'll be your host today, Patrick. And joining me today are my three carnivorous co-hosts. Uh, monkey 1, Jonathan. Monkey 2, bleeding from the head. <laughs> uh, lizard God, Wenzel 1. Okay, alright, now I'm pissed off. <laughs> we fucked up. We didn't. Do, it wasn't our fault. It's the equipment's fault. We. This is our second attempt at recording this because the file got corrupted. Something happened. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Uh, and Wenzel said Monkey Three on the because, first go round. But now, but now since the timeline has been changed, and I am sad, I want to give my. I want to be selfish and make myself happy, so I become Lizard God. You're a coward. You're a coward. I'm a god. Mm-mm, I'm a monkey. There's a lot of animosity between these monkeys and reptiles, which is very appropriate considering what we'll be getting into today. Uh, is, this, is this your first time uh, joining us? Uh, we welcome you to Kaiju Overview 3. Uh, this is a part of our larger series we're doing this month. where Each each week, for the most part, we'll be talking about our love of Kaiju and Kaiju movies. And today, as part of our semi-recurring series, Kaiju Overview, we'll be discussing four kaiju films from the Showa era, which means a period of time in Japanese history between the 1950s and 1960s and 70s, and then we have four classic uh, monster movies to discuss. And um, the first one we'll be discussing today is the inspiration for the upcoming Godzilla vs. Kong, coming out at the end of the month. We'll be discussing its predecessor in the 1962 King Kong vs. Godzilla. Hell yeah. And the original Japanese title was uh, Kingu Kongu versus Kingu Kongu Tai Gojira, or simply King Kong versus Godzilla, released on August 11th, 1962. And this is the third overall film in the Godzilla series. Now, uh, this is a very important film in the Godzilla series to the point because this will be essentially like a new launching point. This is a soft reboot for this series because it's been seven years since the second installment, and that's Godzilla Raids again. And this is sort of this sort of chance for Toho to reinvigorate the franchise, and they're doing it in a big way by having two of film's biggest monsters, Godzilla and King Kong, fight each other on screen. Yeah, biggest monsters in cinema at the time. That's right. And um, what some some more notable things about the film at the, at the very beginning, like we said, this is the um, first film to feature King Kong and Godzilla in the same movie. It's also the first time that we see Godzilla or King Kong in color, and also the first time they've been presented in widescreen. So it's a very big moment. And this is also the return of Ishiro Honda, the man who directed the original Godzilla film in 1954. 
Uh, this is his return to the series, where he will go on to direct several more features for the franchise and several other kaiju and tokusatsu films. And just sort of a bit of an origin story for the film, this sort of this dark, weird, and macabre story to, to get us going. Um, one of the King Kong's original creators, <laughs> Will O'Brien, he came up with a new film for King Kong, and uh, King Kong versus Frankenstein, or King Kong versus Prometheus, in the early '60s, and he 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 collabed with a um, stop motion technician named John Beck, and he wanted to produce this new film, but unfortunately, uh, the cost of production for an entire film at the time and stop motion would be too expensive, so he sort of let the the movie go to bed. Well, whereas John Beck not willing to let the movie go, he took the um, film idea without Will O'Brien's knowledge. He went to Japan after shopping around in America unsuccessfully. And uh, so what they did, they, he, he struck a deal with Toho Studios and they, they sort of took the film. They re, uh, changed the plot where King Kong's opponent wouldn't be a chimera made from the flesh of jungle animals let loose in San Francisco and instead, it'd be um, their most famous monster property, and that, of course, being Godzilla. Um, while the movie was very successful, uh, Will O'Brien was sort of taken aback that his idea was used without his knowledge or permission to make this feature film. And he tried to sue John Beck, but of course, he, he decided against it because he realized he didn't have the money or the stamina for a protracted legal suit. But all the stress, uh, as his wife believed, led to his early death of uh, heart failure, due, just due to all the the rights and sort of the the legal issues surrounding the film. In order to get his idea back, yeah. And moral of the story, kids: if you don't share your ideas with anyone in L.A., unless you have that copyright with the Library of Congress, that's right. And. Um, mentioned the earlier the, the film success this was the uh, most successful film in the franchise scale for inflation until 19 excuse me 2016's Shin Godzilla of course you know, they're making sense because this is two of the biggest movie characters ever in a film together mm-hmm. so obviously it would have an enormous uh, word of mouth and you know acclaim going in now um, before we get to the movie proper, I did want to get at least a little bit of an idea of what the movie felt for the boy, for the boys in the room. How do we feel about King Kong versus Godzilla? Just want a brief overview before we get to the nitty gritty of the movie. I thought that the uh, human stuff uh, was very boring, uh, but that's not really. Like it's not different from a lot of the other Godzilla or MonsterVerse movies. Uh, it was also racist, uh, but the creature action was pretty dang good. It was racist. Nobody cares about the human story, and monster action was fun. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. <laughs> so, uh, as, as you heard them reiterate, uh, we will say up front, if you are interested about the film, please know this is a movie made in the early 60s, so there's going to be some stuff that... Definitely wouldn't fly today, and while you can't excise that from the film because that would be sort of covering up what they did, there there's a protracted sequence, about 20, 25 minutes of the main character um, reaching the island where Kong lives, and there's a, a large cast of Japanese actors uh, with their skin painted to look like island natives. So it's not great, but 
it's just what it is. We can't change that. So just know that going in before we get started. So um, the movie is essentially a corrupt TV executive looking for a way to drive up falling ratings, sends out two uh, employees to the distant Mondo, excuse me, uh, Faroe Island to uh, kidnap Kong and bring him back to mainland Japan to be a production mascot for his company. And, of course, as you would expect, shit goes crazy. No, it doesn't. No, you're lying. Um, So the movie opens up with Godzilla breaking out of an iceberg because this is sort of the, the, the light continuity between the second and the third film where Godzilla was defeated by being trapped in an iceberg. So that's sort of that continuity between the films without sort of getting into the larger tragic story of the original Godzilla. You know, born from nuclear mishappenings, but he's just a radioactive dinosaur who's just here to fuck up the day, essentially. He's here to party. And basically the, the, the crux of the film is like these two monsters fighting, but it's it doesn't go out in the way you think it would because King Kong and Godzilla, they never really actively antagonize each other. It's literally the Japanese government throwing King Kong at Godzilla and that sort of tips off the fight. It's the equivalent of... Uh, when kids would gather the bugs and put them in a box and make them fight. But instead of bugs, it's giant creatures. Yeah, like when Pat and Colt say literally, they they pick King Kong up in a helicopter and literally throw him at Godzilla. Dropping him on his head and they both tumble down a hill. And um, there's just a lot of really just bizarre uh, moments in the film like uh, uh, outside the monster, like on the like on the island, there's a giant octopus that attacks the hut to keep, you know, the special juice they use to contain Kong with a giant octopus. A, a- real-life octopus. A.K.A. Lean. Lean. Because uh, th- there's just this special fruit on the island that makes this non-habit-forming narcotic that everybody wants, and they use that to sort of pacify King Kong to get him off the island. Non-habit forming. Yeah, he seems a little addicted. He was he was slumped. Yeah, he was he was definitely uh, feeling he, he, it. He was throwing those walkie slushes back. <laughs> it's just like red paint, just slapping it down. Boom, 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 boom. And uh, I th- I thought it was cool that on the beat scene where the uh, giant octopus attack. It's a real life octopus. They they um <laughs> they had a casting call. They 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 got four up and coming young octopus actors out of the ocean. And as far, with a little hot air and a little motivation, they they get they encourage them quote quote to clamber across the set. Yeah, because when I was uh, when we were watching it, I mentioned a pal. I was like, "Wow, this octopus special effects look really good. It's almost like it's real." Wouldn't you know? It? Wouldn't you know? And however, one of the uh, the story ends kind of sad because one of the little octopus actors, uh, he's now poop. Yeah, because special effects director A.G.C. Baraya, um ate one of the octopuses for dinner, and even, even oh, though that damn. was, I guess that's part of his dream because he always wanted to make a movie with a giant octopus, and boy did he! And he, he got he did he got to eat the octopus in the film. And, and how many times do you get to say I ate the actor in one of my pictures? I don't know. It sounds like an Ar- Army Hammer dream, but uh, yeah, hide and watch if that comes out. <laughs> but. Um, and just sort of to, to, like um, about the fight itself, the uh, the suit actors uh, Shoichi Hirose and Haru Nakajima who played K- 
King Kong and Godzilla, respectively. They uh, they practice and choreograph this fight extensively, drawing on their own martial arts skills. Uh, and they, they were pretty much given their own devices to, to, to plot out this fight. And it's one of the most like physically demanding and like carefully choreographed in the whole series because you have these sort of multi-hundred-pound suits, and they're sort of clamoring on top of each other. And, like, while being, like, drenched in your own body heat, suffocating from your collective, uh, like, st- stagnant air and pulling off these crazy fights. Like, there's a moment in the in the battle where King Kong picks up Godzilla, swings him by his tail, and for whatever reason, they, they left to keep Nakajima, Godzilla's actor, inside this suit. Just, like, it takes too long to take off to swing my ass around. I guess. Granted, I, I think this would be like, we'll do this shot at the end of the day, we'll get him out, and we'll just stuff this shit with fucking, like, toilet paper or something. Or like, or they, like, tap Nakajima, and he was already passed out from lack of air. It's like, okay, get it, just swing his ass around, get it in real quick. <laughs> oh, I'll wake him up. Um, and also, there's a, there's a bit of a misconception about um, how the movie ends. Because there's a long-standing rumor at the end of the movie that um, there's actually multiple endings that, like for a victor for each monster, and that's sort of just born out of there's a, several edits made to the Japanese version for the American release. Yeah, where they they cut the actual composite cut of the movie, which you're not supposed to do. Yeah, that's something of a no-no because that's the original film. And they made cuts to the original film where large sets in the film were lost for several years. They found them, then they lost them again. But they got them all back for the Criterion lease. So, so you have the American version and the Japanese version on the Criterion edition that came out in 2019. Where all the 15 of the Showa films are in a single place. And for the longest time, because the distribution rights were so locked up with America and John Beck that the Japanese version wasn't really widely available. It was just the American version. Yeah. And there's lots of cuts. So they cut out, like, like character development and, like, uh, expository scenes and replaced them with, like, UN scientists explaining basically what they cut out and sort of, like, halting the flow and changing the movie to feel more like a, a typical sci-fi film of the era. Yeah, because, like... We didn't real. I didn't realize that the uh, Japanese version was on the Criterion, or we would have fucking watched that one. But instead, we watched the English dub, and yeah, the fucking UN bits did bother me a lot because it, it was very herky jerky pacing to the film, where it's like the movie would go it would get going and then stop for these two white dudes to just basically explain what you've already seen, and it's just like. And, and and like Pat was telling us, it was like it was because uh, the American studios didn't basically respect American uh, movie-going audiences' intelligence because they felt like uh, the Japanese film would be too hard to understand or like you know it'd be too inaccessible to a, to a mainstream American audience. So they made all these drastic cuts and they they removed Akira Fukube's like one of his like most famous musical scores for the series out of the film entirely saying it's quote too Japanese sounding and like they made all these sort of egregious cuts while also claiming they had a great respect and reverence for the original version while they cut the actual original cut of the movie 
difference. Yeah. So yeah. The, the racism, kids, don't do it. It's yeah, the left and right hand don't know what each other's doing here. It doesn't quite line up. And but on on, on to the ending, because uh, the the film ends uh, with King Kong and Godzilla tumbling off a mountainside into the water. You can see King Kong swim away. In the original version of the film, the movie ends with King Kong and Godzilla's wars playing at the end. This, this is sort of like their way of like having like a sim- symbolic gesture of them bowing at the end of performance. Mm-hmm. In the American version, they cut out Godzilla's war, which led people to think, oh, they, they, the Godzilla won in the Japanese version. They let King Kong win in the American version. King Kong's the American monster. That isn't the case. You know, the movie ends the same way in both versions. That they just made that extra cut in the American version. Yeah, but that rumor has persisted for years, because uh, officially Toho came out and said that King Kong was the victor of the movie, even though the final clash is kind of unclear. Yeah, it's it's kind of ambiguous who wins because they both tumble into the water. Godzilla doesn't come up, and then King Kong's like, "Fuck this shit, I'm out. <laughs> I'm be- I'm tired of all these stupid people. I'm getting out of here." And also, if it feels like we're not as quite our same speed on this review, is because we've recorded all of this before, and we kind of have to get back through this stuff to get to the stuff we haven't covered. Yeah, yeah. yeah like I have things that we said we had thirty minutes, thirty-five minutes on this part on this movie and the other recording, but now I just. I'm sad that none of it was captured. No, I, I can't remember everything I said, and I. I I want to. I would repeat it, but it it, it would just be kind of weird. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but last thoughts with uh, King Kong vs Godzilla. I liked it. Um, some fun action, some really dodgy stuff from uh, from the day. Um, so h- how you feel about it will be sort of your prerogative. I know we're sort of definitely outside the average feelings for the film because this is just one of the more popular installments in the show era. For uh, it seems a general had you audience and that's fine it's just you know we're we're four minds that are a little bit different from the crowd and that's just fine also king kong's got lightning powers and that's pretty weird and cool though but i'm uh, moving on to our second film because what we do in the kaiju overview we like to cover films that aren't just godzilla films we like to include at least one outside of the godzilla mythos uh, and we'll be talking about king kong escapes Where's he escaping? And Who King knows? Kong, King Kong Escapes. It was released in Japan under the title Kingu Kongu no Yakushu, which is King Kong's counterattack. It was released in <laughs> July 22nd. What's counterattacking against? Uh, well, we'll get into it. And, and uh it's directed by Ishiro Honda. Uh, of course, the, the long-tenured director of the Godzilla series. And, of course, he does. He did films outside the Godzilla, this being one of them. And what this is, this is a film that was co-produced be- between Japanese Toho Corporation and, excuse me, Toho, Toho Company and the American Rankin Bass Productions. If that name sounds familiar, then you might know them from the from the uh, 1960s stop-motion Christmas films. Like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman. Oh, okay. Um... The Hobbit, which is the best adaptation of The Hobbit. 
Uh, fight me, nerds. Because they did stop motion as well as traditional animation. And But this would be the final appearance of King Kong in a Toho film. Because they wanted to make a sequel to King Kong vs. Godzilla shortly after the first film came out. But just due to the rights and the licensing, they quickly lost that. And they were just no longer able to use King Kong's likenesses after this film. Okay. Um, what, uh, what else is notable about the film that introduces a new character who will go on to play a larger role in a future film, and that would be the Gorosaurus, who would go on to have a major role in and in destroy all monsters. My boy, my one of my favorite kaiju, Gorosaurus. It's such a it's such a simple design, but I don't know why I love that little big bastard. <laughs> and it just looks like a weirdly proportioned T Rex. Yeah, and I don't know why I just loved him as a kid, and I love him today. I like the blue. Or greenish. It's a it's a weird muddy green color depending on where you're seated and what film it's in. Um, but just sort of a quick origin overview of the film. This this was a loose adaptation of the King Kong show, which was a another co-production between uh, Rankin Bass and in Japan, which would be the Toei Animation Studio. And Rankin Bass approached Toho about making a movie based off their version of the King Kong show. And because they already had that success with King Kong vs. Godzilla, they just wanted to like, what can you do for us? So Toho's writer, they went to task and they came up with an original screenplay titled Operation Robinson Crusoe, King Kong vs. Ebera, which would feature King Kong fighting a giant lobster monster known as Ebera on a tropical island that was controlled by evil terrorist organization called the Red Bamboo. Also... Mothra was in it. Okay. But uh, Rankin Bass said, boo-boo and all that. It's too different from their cartoon show. So they rejected it. But Toho... sucks. uh, They weren't hasty as Rankin Bass was. They kept the script and they just reused it, swapping in Godzilla for the future film ever at Horror of the Deep. Oh, okay. Interesting. So so the, the elements from the... The original cartoon that were used was the um, setting of King Kong's uh, location, Mondo Island, and the nemesis, the fiendish Doctor Who. Now, it's not the British Doctor Who. It's a completely different entity, even though it's yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah, just a very frail old man. Most Doctor Whos were frail old mans, right? Yeah. But I feel like this one was weaker. Uh, I will say, uh, going into the film, I didn't really know too much about it other than it had a really slick bad guy in Mechanicong, King Kong's evil counter robot. That's a robot. Which is the best part of this movie, which really isn't saying all that much. And just heads up, this definitely would kind of fall in our lower rung of the kaiju films that we watched. Um, Because, sorry. Even though I rated... Uh, whatever the fungus movie was when our first time we did this, lower than this. Y- yes, Matongo. I still think this is my least favorite of the ones we've watched. It's just, I found myself just so bored while watching Me this. too. Yeah, it was it was just so boring to watch. I loved uh, kind of the silliness with King Kong and Gorosaurus and Mechacong, but Again, boring. 
because the the film is it I will say it is sort of sparse in its sort of action. Yeah, it, it, not a lot happens. Not yeah. Really, you, you, have, you have this sort of very curious plot of a unnamed, unplaced, seemingly Asian country. Who, but where they go out of their way to say it's not any known Asian country. Who com- and their representative, um, known as Madam X, it commissions uh, the the evil Doctor Who to uh, retrieve this material known as Element X, which will bolster their country's standing in the world, you know, rankings and sort of make them as like a nuclear threat. So basically, reclaim these space rocks or these weird elements yeah. to, to make our weapons for us? Wait a minute. she, Madam X? I thought her name was Madam Piranha. Well, depending on which dub of the movie you watch, her character played by uh, Mie Hama, she's either referred as Madam X or Madam Piranha. Depending on what, oh, okay. her, what, what dub you get. I, will, I watched the English one. Oh, I watched Japanese. Yeah, uh, yeah, I watch the English, and I'm of the same mind with Colt Winslow. On this one. <laughs> and, and every time that the the female lead in this movie says Kong, I just wanted to gouge my ears out with knitting needles. Kong, <laughs> Kong. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Kong. Even is that the woman that was just screaming bloody murder? That one scene, I had to turn my volume down because, like, man, I really don't need this right now. <laughs> Stop. Like, uh, yeah, you had the prerequisite um, uh, lady character who is made very distressed in the movie where she's kidnapped uh, by Kong, and she she wags her fingers like, "Let me go, Kong. Please let me go. Put me back on the building. Put me back on the submarine, Kong." And Kong's just like, he's like, Kong's just like, oh, fuck. Mm. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Kong, you shouldn't do this. Do you not remember the first movie you were in? Well, I mean, he dies in that movie. But, um, yeah, it's just like, the way she is with Kong is like how Tarantino or Brian De Palma is with the word fuck. It's, it's, it's weird. It's just it's just a weirdly pronounced word, how she places it. It just feels like it's a, a brick just in the air. Yeah, it's just like nails on a chalkboard. And, and like, I don't want to shit on this actress too much, because like, she's she, obviously... She, she's doing what the best she can with the material, but like... It's, uh, it's not super great, and it's not super compelling, even for a human story in an early uh, kaiju movie. Yeah. Um, but essentially, uh, there's this submarine full of, uh, U.S. Army members. They, they're on a mission, but they get rerouted to Kong's Island, and they go, let's go have a looky-loo. And then, um... Oh, wait, wait, I have to stop, I have to stop Pat right there. You, United States Army, they work for the United Nations, Pat. A different entity, okay? And the army, the army doesn't go underwater. The navy goes underwater. Pat, Jesus Christ, what is going on tonight? Yeah, keep, fucking military nerds. Yeah, I, yeah. Obviously, Wenzel has watched too many Marvel movies, so he's been indoctrinated by the military propaganda. <laughs> yes, sir, Sergeant, sir. <laughs> please say it. Please say it. Please say it. Damn it. God. Yeah, he, he finished one division. Just like, oh, I gotta enlist. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's just like <laughs> military industrial complex can do nothing wrong. I was uh, in JROTC. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. As someone who was in uh, JROTC, I take great offense to that. <laughs> well, we know we know who could do a lot of wrong. Pretty much everybody in this movie, because not, neither the goodies or the baddies really have a good head on their shoulders. No. No. And, and it's no. trying to be like this James Bond spy type of plot. Because, like, Doctor yeah. Who feels like a parody of a Bond villain, like Doctor No or whatever. Yeah. A and, terrible parody, too. And, and, but, but like, then, the, the thing is, is, like, he's, like, this, like, maniacally evil guy, but, like, he just, like, fucks up the entire movie. Yeah, like, the, the, the first time they use Mechanic Kong, it fails. Like, it just stops working. And it's like, oh, this is my military might. This is my evil genius made manifest. And then the bitch just like completely conks out. And, <laughs> and he's literally, and he's just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, well, shit. But like, he just, he just fails like the entire time. And it's just like, uh. Come and then, on. and then for, and for some reason, the guy, the main like character is like, you know, this white, uh, uh, who a commander who's like also a uh a scientific genius but also works for the UN military and he just somehow gets everything right yeah makes sense but like all, he but like they're also just as useless as the UN in real life yeah too. it's just yeah. like the human characters were frustrating <laughs> so i was you know like, the only w- person who's, like, worth a damn is the Japanese protagonist. Yeah. He and he I, seemed the most competent. <laughs> he, he was, like, objectively the most competent. Uh, but, like, so, you know, I was like, oh, well, you know how these human plots in these movies are. They can be a little trite. So, you know, kind of going with the flow. And I love Mechanicong's design, and I'm ready for this knockdown, drag-out fight. And then... They just kind of shake a tower for like thirty minutes at the end, and it's like, oh, that that was it. Kong only has one rule fight. That's on the island where he fights the Gorosaurus. Yeah, which was which was pretty neat. It's like, like yeah, because we we talked about earlier. Gorosaurus is like this, you know, stylized T Rex, Allosaurus sort of facsimile, but has the unique ability of just doing this little kangaroo drop kick yeah. as it's injured to move. And um and and plus like it it sort of it's, it harkens to the original King Kong where King Kong fought you know the maid or the T Rex and he does the same trick where he breaks its jaw, uh not quite to the same effect as we'll see later in a different in another movie we'll talk about but he breaks his jaw and you just see like he foaming at the mouth and um he, he throws a rock at a sea serpent he does which apparently I think it's funny <laughs> that out of context clip makes it around Twitter, even outside of the Toku and Kaiju circles. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. Cause you, it's so Cause good. you just see it like a giant snake swimming in the water and ostensibly it's Kong throwing a rock to make sure it doesn't attack the retreating human, but you just see a snake and you just don't, just like a rock just falls straight flat on its head. <laughs> it's like, bye, bitch. <laughs> you know how, you that- now have brain damage. 
and, you know, uh, the thing is, too, that, that sea serpent was probably minding its own business. It just happened to surface. And they're like, oh, it's a sea serpent. And Kong's like, oh. Just like, <laughs> it's the monkey brain. You see something scary, you attack. Like, fuck, fuck the fucking monkeys. Like, I'm Brett Favre, bitch. Watch. And then, like, he, he gets into, like, a fight unnecessarily with this sea serpent. He's just like, <laughs> he's just, like, he's all tangled up in this thing. Yeah, and it's doing nothing. Yeah, just, like, kind of flailing around. And the snake is probably saying, oh, excuse me, excuse me, what are you doing? Why are you wrapping me in a knot? <laughs> and he's just like, bitch, I'm John Madden. Just <laughs> <laughs> risk to bitch it out. <laughs> and the serpent's like, I don't know that reference. Um, <laughs> and, and plus, like, there's other references to the original King Kong, like when they have their final confrontation, Not let's not say a fight, on top of the, you know, Tokyo Tower where King Kong duplicate Mechanicon steals Lady Susan and runs off with her and then they don't have really a fight. It just um King Mechanicon just falls off. Yeah, and then just breaks into a bunch of pieces. Just humpy dumpies his ass. And there's a bit in there where they like kidnap King Kong and hypnotize him to to, to dig up the uh the Element the, X I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I really that that was so like like the movie was already boring. That I I was literally just looking at my phone, looking up like ah, he's digging up Element X. Am I missing important dialogue? No, I'm not. I'm gonna well, like, keep looking at my phone. Well, like the whole like plot point was that <sighs> it was it Mechanicon was just broke because the radiation off of Element X it was too, it was too intense for its circuitry. So. They're just, like, going to give this giant monkey just, like, instant cancer? Cause, like, yeah, because King Kong's immune to radiation, evidently. Uh, apparently, like, in the last movie, he had fucking lightning powers, and now he's... Now he's immune to radiation, he's like the kid on the fucking playground who keeps making shit up. It's, it is funny, though, because technically this is, isn't a sequel to King Kong vs. Godzilla. It's... Even though they're they're... They're both canon in their respective ways to the Godzilla film, so I think they, I think they said technically these are two different Kongs because I mean they look different because well it is the same body suit for King Kong in this film but it has a different head because just due to the wear and tear and sort of the materials they work with sometimes they disintegrate quicker so they had to replace the head but they still have you know his big exposed nipples on the suit. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, King Kong escapes. Um, it's definitely not the worst kaiju movie out there, but it's definitely not in any high ranking, I would say. Yeah, it, it's, and I think that's what makes it more boring, is it's just kind of mediocre. Yeah. Nothing to really, like, no, like, superlatives one way or the other, just, it is what it is. There's not a single scene in this movie that's exciting in any way, yeah, in my opinion. Except maybe the the Gorosaurus fight, and that's stretching it. Yeah, and that's the very beginning, <laughs> and then it just goes downhill instantly. And it's a, it's yeah. a, it's not it's not like a it's not a super long movie, but like it's longer than average for one of these films. Yeah, it's. And then Dan just feels compounded by just sort of the lack of material. 
Yeah, you know, that was um that was something that I did was I organized the movies I wanted to watch by like on Letterboxd by their length and you know uh King Kong Escapes was on like the longer side and I was like, "Oh, okay, that's fine. An hour and like 40 30 or 40 minutes." <sighs> Man, it was a terrible hour. I will say I managed to entertain myself throughout the film by uh, every time King Kong came on screen, I said, Mikey! That is pretty entertaining. That's pretty good. I just yelled it, and I... (laughs) I was surprised I didn't wake anybody up, but I I was feeling feeling it because I watched it first thing in the morning, and that's kind of a way to keep myself awake. It just said monkey, just just like in just the craziest, insane voice I could every time he showed up. Okay, that's pretty good. (laughs) So... Uh, 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 I was going to say, there was this bit for another movie that we'll talk about where I would always go back to the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood bit where Rick Dalton uh, is pointing to the TV and he's like, hey, <laughs> that, 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 that was me <laughs> it. holding it like a That's Dr. Me. Pepper, like, hey. <laughs> Monkey. Here it is. Monkey. Um, well, I think we should give the, the last say to uh, a, a new addition to the cast. We have the official... AYCH movie critic Mollusk, and that's all the octopus. You might know him from our official AYCH spinoff, The Cage of Greatness, where we discuss Nicolas Cage movies. So, what does Otto, the octopus, what does he feel about this film? What is his verdict? Uh, he, he's he's angry. He's not very happy. He doesn't like it. He's uh, firmly on the angry face. Yeah, and same with the last movie. We, I mean, we, I, we forgot I about don't understand. this bit when we re-recorded. Yeah, uh, we, we had a bit with Otto because it, it came up more naturally in the film. We're just trying to recoup our lost bits here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's uh, King Kong Escapes. So not super high, but not the worst either. But uh, just moving right along, we go to our next film, Son of Godzilla. Yeah, the best one, son. Okay, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood bit is referring to this one. In <laughs> <laughs> um, this film, with a noticeably longer title, it's Kaijuto no Kessen, Gudra no Musuko, which means Monster Island's decisive battle, Godzilla's son. That, that is just... Brevity's the soul of wit, Japan. Y'all need to calm down. <laughs> it's like, who fucking named that movie fucking the same kingdom hearts dipshits we'll see um this this released in december 16th 1967 and this is the eighth overall film in the show era godzilla series and um uh, with this film uh, we get we get introduced to a brand new character and that's manila the adopted son of godzilla and this sort of furthers godzilla transition into a, a outright heroic figure and I, we will yeah. we will say um, this movie comes with a lot of contention because this movie has different feelings in the East versus the West because we're in the English audience fandom perception. This is kind of on the lower end because a lot of people take like a lot of issues with the film. It's not very high in English people in the English speaking audience mind because they hate fun. Evidently, because they just weren't a big fan of Manila. The ugliest, cutest thing ever. And sort of the general... <laughs> it's like a pug. It looks like a pug. Like a pug, yes. 
it, it somehow like that makes donkey noises. It somehow at the same time like butt ass ugly, but also really endearing at the same time. And, and plus, a lot of people weren't love Manila. big fans of the light-hearted direction that the series had taken, especially with this film. But okay. we'll get into all that. Okay, wait a minute. Hold on. Light-hearted? There's a scene in there that I remember as a kid I was terrified of. Well, not terrified, but extremely just sad. And then it still did the same thing to me. And I, I, I have to use this right now because it's so freaking funny and I've been saving it for so long. But if anybody knows, there's a funny comic Yoda meme out of context where it's Yoda in shackles. <laughs> and he's saying what? And somebody says, welcome to your new home, freak. And as soon as Medulla hatches, that's the first thing I thought of. It looks exactly like Yoda. Because And then the position. praying mantis start trying to eat him and kill him. Oh, my God. I, okay, I was sad that they were doing that, but also I was laughing. I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, they were beating the shit out of Manila. <laughs> right he was just bored. He did nothing wrong. He was just like, ah! Like, literally just born. Like, like stress, straight out the egg, and these giant-ass bugs are just like, din-din. And they're like, they're like Welcome to your new home, freak. <laughs> And he looks like just like a, like a fat Thanksgiving turkey just getting rolled around in the dirt. <laughs> so what, what's the perception of this movie in Japan? It, it's pretty well liked because uh, even though Manila largely is a, one of the least popular kaijus in the States, generally speaking, in Japan he's one of their favorites in a, in a 2017 poll where they were ranking the top 20 non-Godzilla monsters from toho manila came in fourth hell yeah yes wow, okay i i agree and good for and, him i fucking love them you know they have the right perception about these things um and just a general <laughs> overview of the film synopsis wise a group of scientists are testing a weather control system on a uh far-flung tropical island but they are interrupted by an intrepid reporter and giant praying mantises and after an accident that causes the, the weather, weather systems to go awry. Uh, the radiation causes the insects to grow from human size to giant size. And th that's where a giant egg is uncovered, which leads to the birth of Manila and a, the attraction of Godzilla to, uh, to the baby of his species. And sort of, I think you got the idea so far, but what were our general feelings about the film going in? I, uh, going in, I've heard so much about Manila throughout the years, uh, mostly from Pat because he showed me a picture of Manila <laughs> and I love, fell in love instantly, uh, because it's so cute and so ugly. I really want a figure of Manila so, so bad, but I looked it up and they're very expensive. Uh, but, uh, when I went into it, ready for Manila. And whenever Manila first popped up, I was, I was having a blast. Even though the Brang Manises were beating the shit out of them. <laughs> Welcome to your new home, freak. <laughs> yeah, um, I I remember when I first watched this. I you know it was on the lower end. I um, not lower end, but it wasn't the worst thing. Um, I remember being extremely saddened watching Manila getting beaten up because he was just a baby. You know, and I knew as a kid what was going to happen. They wanted to eat him. But then Godzilla saves the day. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. 
and uh, watching it again, same thing, except I <laughs> except this time I was laughing and pointing with my Dr. Pepper in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> the fighting the fighting's kind of um um the fighting wasn't bad actually it was actually pretty fun um and then the human story you know it wasn't uh you know not not the most uh worthwhile thing but i mean i won't say it's bad i won't say it's horrible it was just um it was okay. It was okay. Yeah. I would say of, of all the the human the straight human plot, I feel like I was more engaged with this one than maybe at least with the other two. Like I was more plugged in what was happening it, with uh Son of Godzilla. It, it, exactly. And I think it's cuz the characters are while like barely straightforward, they're very you know endearing. Like the the main uh reporter guy is you know he's he's just kind of this bumbling buffoon who runs into this this lady who's been living on the island for guess all her life. Yeah, a, a, a reporter that literally drops out of the sky to get this story. Like he jumps out of a plane, and he's he like, just, Why? "Hey guys, what you doing?" It's like, "Who the fuck are you? Why are you on this island?" Because just like all these Japanese scientists on an island, is like trying to build this with us, and his ass just like. Out of the blue, just like I'm here for the scoops, yeah. and like, and also too, when he first gets there, he's like, "My luggage is out there in the water." Like, uh, okay, go get your luggage. <laughs> like, we're not. What? What is this? A hotel? This is an island with with dangerous animals. Get your shit. Deeply giant fucking praying mantises. <laughs> like, what? What are you doing, man? Like. We're not your servants. I mean, to be fair, though, he was a fun character. They were all pretty fun, especially the guy who was just so pissed all the time because it was so hot, and I totally understand. <laughs> yeah. I related to him so much because our house, heating and air aren't great. Let's just say that. So, like, in the summer before we got our individual window units, we'd just be there hot, and I would just get mad and, and i'm like laying in bed and i'm punching the wall because just i'm like ah it's so hot it's so no, hot. and the guy would just be walking around with a gun and he's like it's so goddamn hot and, and also uh none of the people in the movie know proper gun safety they're just slinging them bitches around oh for real yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh it, it, it's it, I think I was more invested because overall they were more funny and like surprisingly for a monster movie on an island nobody dies. Yeah. Even the yeah. people who don't say a word, everybody gets away. Even though the the ending is like very much like really like tonally different because it gets really fucking dark. Uh, yeah, we'll get there. But I will say, uh, just putting it out there. The professor, he's kind of a silver fox. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I was like, I was talking past, like, he's kind of a daddy. <laughs> because uh, the, the the character who plays the professor um, is uh, Tadao Takashima, who played the main character in King Kong versus Godzilla, mm -hmm. Sakurai. So like, he's he's one of the the very um, tenured and like long serving actors that just sort of they use in and out of these films, even though. They never play any of the same characters in any of the movies, despite doing in five or six of them. But, um, but yeah, like the movie was really fun. Um, uh, Godzilla adopts Manila, and he's kind of like 
a hapless father, but he's kind of like brood too. It's like, get up, you little shit. Do this right. God, I swear to God, Godzilla must have like stayed in Alabama for a little while and learned where to parent. Because like, I he, there are multiple times like. If there were subtitles for fucking Godzilla, he would have told Manila, all right, boy, you better get up or I'm going to stripe them legs up one side and down the other. <laughs> you say and that, what's... but I thought I thought he was a pretty, like, I mean, I know he was a father who doesn't, like, who doesn't allow Manila to have fun. But, like, you know, whenever mm. he, he did something, like, he was supportive, which I guess yeah. makes sense for it's somebody. Sort of that, that fatherly reluctance that you'd see. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was really cute. And plus, there's a great scene where, like, um, Godzilla's trying to teach Manila how to to breathe their, 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 their atomic ray, and Manila can only shoot out the smoke ring, and he's just trying to, and he slaps Manila in the back of the head, he's shooting fire out. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, that's... <laughs> that, that was funny. Well, about the, uh, the only hand, one of the handful of times where child abuse is hilarious. Yeah, it, it, it's not child abuse when it's a, when it's a giant monster. Hi, <laughs> Jonathan. Another good uh, father-son scene is the one where Godzilla's asleep. Yeah, Manila's just jumping over yes! his tail and then accidentally steps on his tail and just busts his ass. <laughs> like, uh, even though Manila's adopted, he had he had uh, inherited Godzilla's clumsiness because he's just busting ass all over this movie. <laughs> For real. You say Manila's adopted, but I think just because of his fucking goofiness that he is Godzilla's biological son. I, I think so, too. So, even though that they never made it clear about where this egg came from and like who laid it, it's just like, oh, you're your baby. Uh, I'm daddy now. Yeah, but for some reason though, Godzilla comes there because Manila is sending out brainwave signals to call Godzilla to the island. Like what? Like like Manila in his egg is like emitting this frequency that Godzilla recognizes and draws him to the island, which you know fucks shit up for the scientists. And, you know, he, baby, and then Godzilla saves baby from these giant-ass fucking uh, <laughs> praying mantises. And, like, th- that's, even the people who weren't super high in the film, one thing they really praise is sort of the animatronic and puppetry of the Kamakuras, the uh, praying mantis monsters. Yeah. Like, yeah. On top of, like, the actual just, the puppetry of the, of the mantises themselves, there are multiple larger... Uh, puppets of like the arms and then with the the spider monster there's a arm puppet to sort of give scale to the human characters like for real they use like full scale like life-size version of what how big these monsters would be in certain scenes like when they're harassing the humans like hiding out in the cave like full scale which is like crazy to think that yes i love that i love them i love their designs too i like i really i really um appreciated that about this uh film and uh, on the kamakuras the, the praying mantis monsters their name is derived from kamakiri the japanese word for mantis and they were made from using maquettes from wood and piano wire and iron and um they had nine versions of the three kamakuras three large Three medium and three small for the various shots that you need. And all the shots where you see the Kamakuras burning from Godzilla's heat ray, they burn the the actual ones. It's like, one and oh. done, bitch. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> Damn. Those are gone. Oh, that's sad. And um, the um, the puppeteers that controlled Kamakuras, they would sit in the rafters above the set to control them. And apparently the studio lights were so hot 
that their sweat would quote rain down on all the performers on the set. I, I mean, oh, I believe it. Like, if you are ever like on some any sort of set, whether it's like still photography shoots or anything, those lights are hot. Yeah, yeah. I bet. Thank God for LEDs now, because man, lights put out some damn heat. They do. And um, going to the next monster of the film, we basically the boss of the island is Kumonga, which is this massive spider that sort of like this long slumbering beast that they're they're, they're trying to tiptoe around. To avoid to get off while well, trying to get off the out and as the uh, the crime occurs have been sort of staved off by Godzilla at the moment, but unfortunately Big Baddy wakes up and he starts wrecking shit. And this is probably the most like intricate and complex like puppet they use in the series because like it's a giant spider with eight legs and like pincers and like uh, the silk spitting and like this story. Like it's a it's, they said the original Kamonga. Uh, prop was uh, 16 feet in length. Oh, wow. God, that's awesome. But and also, it, and they said it fuck. took um, 20 people to operate. Yeah, yeah that yes. makes sense. And which was essentially to show you what side of the, the crew they're working with. The 20 people that took to operate was pretty much the entire production crew minus the director and the actors. Oh, wow. That's how small they budget and how incredibly difficult it was to control the spider damn that man that's crazy i wonder if it was fun i mean it probably was for a little bit and then you just, <laughs> you're just and then, like and then it just probably went into chaos <laughs> then you're just like baking under the 150 degree like spotlights that are on top of you yep yep um and so you have like this, you know, this, this, this like very intricate fight where Godzilla fights um, the spider Kamoga, and Manila joins in. They have like their father son Kamehameha moment to beat uh, the spider. Yeah, it has a fake out death. It comes back. It's, it's so okay. Yeah, I was about to say that fake out but, was uh, so fucking funny. Because <laughs> it, it, did it shoot Webb out of its asshole? I know it, sh- it shot it out of its mouth, um, the little pincer, but it also had this finger that poked like Godzilla in the eye or something. And yeah. he's like, oh, shit. Yeah. And um, a little bit on Manila <laughs> for the, for a moment. Um, it's definitely named as Manira, which is a combination of the words Mini and Gojira. Yeah, that, that makes sense. sense. And Toho um, arrived at the name by launching a naming campaign that let people vote on a name for the monster. Because up, up until this point in the script, it's like Godzilla Jr. or Child Godzilla or Chibizilla, just like placeholder names. And with this contest, Manira um, uh, won, taking 135 votes of the total 8,211. And there was a, an official like naming ceremony on set for the monster for baby manila and i'm sending that picture in chat oh hell yeah let me see this oh shit i think i know what it is or i think i've seen it before oh my god please let it be that is the cutest shit i've ever seen you see like uh manila and like a little like 
Japanese yes. traditional Japanese coat, and he's like shaking hands with a woman in the kimono. That's like their official yes. naming ceremony for him. Oh, that's <laughs> cute. And I also sent in chat a uh, set picture of one of the the large scale Kamakuras. And you see, it's a it's a human sized praying mana. It's very involved. Oh damn! Hell yeah! And um, Manila is the official trademark English name for the character. And if if you if you're on certain places, depending on where you are, you might see Minya as a alternate name. And that's just an alternate translation, depending on what dub you get. But Manila is the official trademark English name. And uh, Manila was played by professional dwarf wrestler and stage performer Masao Fukuzawa, also known as Little Man Machan. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And um, and and also um, Fukuzawa had great difficulty moving within the suit because of its overall shape. And if he fell, he couldn't get back up. <laughs> I mean. Seeing the stuff that happens in the movie, that makes sense. And the special director for the film, uh, Sadamasa Arikawa, he liked how Fukuzawa's movements resembled a toddler, like he just kind of bumbling and falling over. You know, it was completely unintentional by the actor. He's like, I like this, we'll keep it in the movie. Hell yeah. And uh, with Godzilla, this was one of the first times that Haruo Nakajima isn't playing Godzilla. Oh, really? Uh, because they want to really accentuate how baby Manila is, they casted a larger, a taller actor by the name of Hiroshi Sakita to be um, Godzilla because he was taller than Nakajima. Mm-hmm. But Nakajima was still on set to play Godzilla in like the the far away like water scenes where he's in com- coming from the water. Mm-hmm. So he's still in the film. He's just not the principal actor for Godzilla. Yeah, and of course <coughs> they he he deferred to Nakajima just for his expertise of being the character for so long. So mm-hmm. he obviously had a more, you know, av- not adversarial, like, um, advising role in the film. Yeah. And the Kamakura's uh, Shriek, it was actually a recycled sound from a uh, Ultraman monster. Okay. Oh, okay. And um, just sort of wrapping up, the movie ends with them sort of beating Kamonga, but also... In order to escape, the, the scientists sort of have detonated the um, weather system to sort of put the island into this little miniature ice age to, to stave off any other monsters from awakening and escaping and danger in the human public. But you just see, but it, it, it leads to this very jarring shift in tone in the mil- in the movie where it's like, oh, this family friendly lark, where you see Manila and Godzilla wandering through this, the frozen wasteland. And you see like Manila like shriveling up because of the cold yeah they're like literally freezing to death despite what the scientists and the uh other characters are like oh they'll be fine they're just hibernating when it thaws they'll they'll come back but it, it, it shot like it's a death scene yeah it's a it's a very jarring shift and what <laughs> what makes that moment worse is that there is a uh, a slightly different cut of the ending uh, that you can find out there if you look for it where uh, Godzilla abandons Manila. No! no! Like, like he sees Manila in the cold and he's like, fuck this, I'm out. But he, but, uh, he sees Manila so sort of like pitifully crawling towards him in the snow. And he's like, that's bad. Let me go back and help him. So but so that's, so there's, there's one brief scene where that's cut out in the final version. But it ends the same way with Godzilla sort of holding on to Manila to warm him up as sort of they... 
go into suspended animation covered by ice and snow. It's still this weirdly tragic moment on top of this lighthearted film. Yeah. So, um, but overall, um, wrapping up with this one, uh, would we recommend this to a kaiju newbie? Was this something we would like say, oh, this is one of the better films that we would say, go out of your way to watch this one? I would. I wouldn't recommend it for a newbie, but I would definitely recommend it. It's funny. I mean, a newbie's going to have to watch it anyway, you know, because it's just, it's essential Godzilla at this point. So I would, I would say, yeah. Otto the Octopus agrees. Yeah, Otto has his happy face on. Uh, he, he he supports this film. And I do as well. I don't, I would say, don't listen to the, 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 the negative hype. Walk in with your own opinions and see how you feel. But we all had a lot of fun with this one, despite some of the negative naysayers about the movie. Because they hate fun. They hate babies. Yeah. Because Manila is baby. Baby. <laughs> It's all gotta be jokers, no funnies. <laughs> I'm the Joker, baby. We we gotta get more Cruellas in the world. Everybody's the Joker. We live in a society, don't we, Batman? I'm Jesus. I'm the Joker. I'm the Joker, Jesus, welcome to baby. Your, welcome to your new home, freak. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and moving on to our final film of the episode, we have... 1974's Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla, simply known in Japan as Gojira Tai Mecha Gojira, released March 21st, 1974. This is the 14th film in the Showa era Godzilla series. Well, that might seem like a big jump in terms of numbers, but let's just say this might be um, a little relevant to what's happening in the future with the MonsterVerse. Ah. Yeah, maybe related to a movie that comes out sometime soon. Yeah, there might be a little bit of some threads connecting these films. Not saying too much. Um, but it, this this film was directed by Jun Fukuda, uh, the, the second most tenured uh, director in the Showa series. Uh, returning from the previous film, uh, we have Masaru Sato, who is the composer for the film. And this movie was, uh, so was released to celebrate Godzilla's 20th anniversary. And now with this film, it starts off with uh, with a bang, literally. There's a massive explosion, and you see Angerus, uh, a long-since-forgotten uh, kaiju, emerges from the dirt. And, and uh, you, see this, you see Godzilla emerge, but he, something's a little different about this Godzilla. We can't quite put our finger on it. He has a different roar. A different roar. He, he has a, a new behavior, and it, it's sort of, this sort of... Uh, layered on top of there is a um, there's a royal family in Okinawa, Japan, and the um, the heir, this woman, she has this frightening vision of, of these monsters destroying the world. And so, how does Godzilla figure into this, and why is his behavior so different? And what will humanity be able to do to arrest the prophecy and save the day? Okinawa, then, wait a minute, that's where I was born. Whoa. Hometown hero. Getting yeah, A-Y-C-H I. Lore. It, it was funny because my dad always talks about this movie because he just loves Okinawa so much. And um, when I was watching it, I was like, yeah, okay. I don't recognize anything in here because this is before my time. <laughs> but my dad, yeah. but my dad, he always tells me everything that he recognizes in there. And uh, he, he could probably tell me everything. But um, 
yeah no it was just it was kind of that i thought that was kind of fun no knowing that now because uh this is one of the sorry go ahead i was gonna say one of the things that godzilla does right out the gate to make it seem like this isn't this isn't normal godzilla is that uh, he immediately starts fist fighting one of his friends? He just starts beating the shit out. And of him. he rips his jaw open. Oh my god! I remember being so traumatized as a kid seeing Anguirus with all that blood coming out. Holy shit! Because I was feeling bad because Anguirus is like, "Hey, what's up?" It's it's essentially like uh, Wenzel is out in public. We're at a Barnes and Noble. I see him like I'm walking up to Wenzel. And then uh, he's like, hey, hey, Colt, how you doing? And then I immediately start punching him in the face <laughs> and try to rip his jaw off his body. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly how it is. <laughs> what? <laughs> and, like, I, I will say this is one of the first Godzilla movies I ever remember seeing. And, like Wenzel said, just seeing, you as a little kid seeing Godzilla wrench Angerus's jaw back till it breaks and blood gushes out was definitely something that I remember for the rest of my life, from those formative years. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's a definite, definite tonal shift from the movies we've been watching up to this point. Except for maybe the original Godzilla, but that's a different type of fucked up and dark. Because yeah, because Mechagodzilla is is one of, if not the most like bloody of all the Godzilla films from the show era. And that was sort of due in part of two things. Um... A.G. Tsuburaya, the longtime special effects director, he had passed away in 1970, and sort of like his overview kept the series from getting encroaching too much into a violent territory. So sort of to make sure it sort of stayed at a certain level of content for, you know, families. All, all audiences. But just due to, like, declining sort of ticket sales and sort of general opinions on the film, they sort of turned to you know, a bit more of a blood sport to engage with those audience and to compete with other kaiju films that have gotten more violent, specifically with Gamera. Even though Gamera's kind of a, um, I don't want to say pretender to the throne, but definitely he has his moments and he was sort of like, oh, this is the B-scale kaiju, but it has more blood and guts in it. Yeah. Well, and I think, it, I may be wrong, but if I remember my Japanese film history correctly, it wasn't just, like, the kaiju movies that were suffering. It was, like, the whole of the Japanese film industry. Yeah. Was Everybody good. was struggling. Yeah. And and just with the film, because it, open, it opens up, like we said, in Okinawa, this, this scenically very different location for Godzilla. It's sort of this very tropical beach-like place in Japan. It's far removed from the stratified cities that we know. And you see... Um, uh, the, the heir to Ozumi clan, she's sort of doing her dance, and she gets this vision of death. But it's just strange because it has this, like, you know, buildings burning, but it has, like, a cut of King Ghidorah in the vision, and he's, not yeah. only does he not appear, it's never, he's never mentioned in the movie at all. It was just, like, an interesting choice they decided to make for the film. But, um, but it, it, it all kind of predicates around getting this, um, statue of this traditional Okinawan guardian deity, Ashisa, it was kind of it was like a lion and a dog kind of mixed together. And yeah. So, so you have like all these different parties buying for it. You have like the main characters, like we got to keep this safe. It's an artifact. It should be in a museum. You have like all these shady people lurking around corners. They want it for their nefarious reasons. You also have this other shady group that's also watching everybody do 
all these other things at the same time, and they're interested in it for reasons as well. It's aliens. Aliens. Because, like, there's aliens involved, folks. Who would have thought? Monkey aliens. Monkey aliens, as it would turn out. Monkey. <laughs> so many monkey. Because yeah, I, I had forgotten that the bad guys in this film were essentially green space monkeys. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I completely forgot. And then even the sound they make is kind of like monkey sound. Because there, there's, like, your initial, like, um, interloper is, like, he, he fights the main guy. He gets shot. And, like, half his face melts off to reveal a monkey, a green monkey face. And he just starts making monkey hooting noises. Like, he just sort of... Once the facade di- disappeared, they just they just were literally revert to monkey. <laughs> and so, like, there's a, there's a lot. I would say, like, even though it's not a complicated story, I feel I still felt a little lost with all the moving characters in it. Well, because we got the the main characters and they're different groups of characters of the like protagonists that coalesce at the end yeah uh got uh, the interpol guy who comes and helps out and then we got the space (laughs) who's the only competent motherfucker in this movie yeah because everybody's just like can't put two two thoughts together but the thing is with the interpol guy he the entire time he's like secrets Yeah. Like what? Did he like, so like he's super shady and just like weird. <laughs> he's so vague, and then like, and then he appears. I'm with Interpol. I've been secretly tracking you and trying to help you the entire time. Thanks. I mean, he was badass. Yeah, he he, he was badass. But like, all the, just to give like insight to the other characters' incompetence, like one of the protagonists gets attacked by one of the green space monkey guys. Even though we don't know it's green space, monkey. he's still in human disguise. He's still in human disguise, and th- there's this older gentleman who's just like standing back, just watching it happen for like minutes on end. He's just like, oh, and <laughs> he's getting do... his ass beaten too. Yeah, doing jack and shit. And then when when the main character managed to wrestle the gun away from the bad guy and not to the ground. That his his uncle, who is this professor, still doesn't do anything for minutes, and he picks up the gun finally and doesn't do anything with it. It's frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you know, with all that, like, I thought I, I was actually pretty invested in the story. Oddly enough, me personally, yeah. I I don't know why I I like like this spy kind of alien shit going on i don't know why i i I thought it was enjoyable actually like with the interpol like trying to you know investigate these fuckers oh and then there's another interpol agent who just appears out of nowhere and he's like yeah i'm a colleague yep i'm here to save you guys (laughs) as well because i forgot there was a second one it's like did this dude change clothes because he went from like this black yeah like this sports coat and i'm just like this is, is this the same guy? They have like, the no, same haircut, same sunglasses. They look exactly the same, but no, they're two different characters. <laughs> and like the and like the second professor has like this high tech pipe that's uh, that that looks really cool. Like it also looks like you, you can beat somebody to death with it because it's heavy and big. It's heavy, yeah. <laughs> it looks like a fucking brick of iron. Because <laughs> apparently, when you <laughs> or an ingot. When you, when you like take it apart, it like fries circuitry, 
and like the bo- like the bowl of the pipe is made from space titanium. <laughs> and like there's like this whole like run around that that the the aliens they're uh they're they're not really given a name they're just we're from the third planet from the black hole whatever that means and like they have like this giant underground base and it's like we're we're going to retrofit earth to fit our demands and i love how the main bad guy just it, it kind of just even though we're, we learn about the aliens, we still kind of just cut to the aliens' underground lair. And the bad guy's just a cigar-chomping dude with, like, a burn scar on his face. And But then also, it's like, the aliens, like, they're like, hmm, this prophecy might be a problem for us. We need to go stop it. Like, bitch, how, how does... How do you know you fit into the prophecy? <laughs> like, oh... I, they're al- you know what? Space Smokey aliens are smarter than me. And, and, and one detail I didn't notice when I watched this way back in the kid is that um, the belt buckle of the aliens wear is a green monkey face. Yes! Yeah. I didn't notice that either until I watched it. I was like, what? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, like the, the, obviously, the, the, the human plot in this one is very silly. Which kind of makes it more fun because it's not just like, oh, we're scientists and trying to figure out how to stop this thing. It's like monkey, monkey <laughs> aliens. So this one, this one was a lot of fun. Exactly, and uh, no, we have a Mecha Godzilla, and we need to stop this dog from from beating him up. Because, the well, aliens, and, not and, and going to the Mecha Godzilla part because, like we said, Mecha Godzilla in disguise a regular Godzilla beats the tar out of. Angerus, and he scampers away for literally 30 years, because it's the last time Angerus has seen the movie until 2004. Or Final Wars? Yeah, until Final Wars. And, um, so, like, obviously, Godzilla seems often like he has, like, this, like, kind of stiff roar, he has a yellow beam, so, like, he, he lumbers his way onto, like, an oil refinery, and then Godzilla shows up, and they decide to just throw the fuck down because this is some of the the biggest pyrotechnics and and, and a set piece for a while because they're like fighting you see like guys are like blow up chunk you see like the metal there and then they they, they mask off and turn it to mechagodzilla which leads to I, I don't know if it's the first um beam struggle in a movie but it's the first official beam struggle in a godzilla film because godzilla and Mechagodzilla shoot their respective beam, they clash and explode. And blow both of them back. Yeah, Godzilla literally gets blown in the water and blood's gushing from the water. And everybody just thinks he's dead. So Godzilla disappears after reappearing on an island and channeling lightning to um, heal himself and train? I guess. I'll come back later. Yeah, even though, if you remember in the... Earlier, he uh, had a weakness electricity because King Kong just pulled that shit out. But now he's like, lightning works for me. No, 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 no. Pat, you got it wrong. Lightning that's not atomic works on Godzilla. But Godzilla is able to to generate atomic lightning to heal him. There's a difference, Pat. Mm. Anyhow, Godzilla has some some wibbly-wobbly time. It would be why we power that aren't quite explained, but you know. No, you just don't understand the lore, Pat. <laughs> nerd. Oh, I'm the nerd military lover. So they have their confrontation. 
uh, Mecha Godzilla. He's he's raised size up and he's ready to, to throw down. Uh, but then they realize the prophecy is about two monsters coming together to stop with the one bad one. But where does the second monster come in? And that's uh, King Caesar. And of course, he goes. There's, there's some roundabout ways that this he gets his name because in the Japanese version, it's King Shisa because he's literally a giant Shisa, the guardian lion dog. Mm-hmm. But then it, when it came to the state, say translated it as King Caesar, and in one yeah. case, Caesar. Yeah, they thought they they thought they were saying Caesar Caesar. But they were saying Sisha, which, fun fact, Sisha is actually just the Okinawan version of the Chinese guardian lion, Shishi. Yes. And, um, but then Toho officially came out and said the official trademark English name for this character is King Caesar, which is still different. You know, whatever. And it's kind of just like we have something to go by. <laughs> what does it really matter now? And we also get like a pretty cool song, uh, Miyabi's Prayer. Oh yeah, that, that's that's used to summon King Caesar from his resting place in the mountains. It's really long though. Yeah, you yeah. get the full two verse, the whole uh, LP on there. <laughs> and um, so like, you know, so King Caesar he comes out to fight uh, Mechagodzilla, and uh, but Mechagodzilla has the upper hand, but King Caesar is able to turn it around with his special ability that he can. Ab- Absorb and redirect energy beams that is, that he's attacked with. Yes, and, yes. And uh, and when plus King Caesar's eyes on that subject are very striking. And I found out from my research is that his eyes were made from car tail lights. Oh, oh okay. okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's a way to use uh, those. That's pretty. That's pretty fun. Yeah. It's like these these bright red eyes, and um, King Caesar's roar is actually the recycled sound clips from King Kong's in the, in the last two movies. So like King Kong lives on in King Caesar. Except King Caesar I thought it was recognizable. King yeah. Caesar is more badass Cause I really liked the fight and I thought it was fun too. Whenever he would hide behind a rock and look past it and be like, Oh, and I, Oh, <laughs> trying to hide from Mecha Godzilla and Mecha Godzilla is like, Nope. And cuts the rock in half. Good shit. And then, and then like King Caesar has like reverse vision. Like mirror vision. But they, they, apparently, that, that that move is called Prism Eye. That's their official name for him. Oh, that's cool. Absorbing and redirecting the attack. And of course, Godzilla shows up to, to turn the tide a little bit. And there's a great bit with Godzilla where he he goes to attack Mechagodzilla with his with his atomic ray, and he misses. He has like this drap, like hand motions, like dang it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. Because I love as the movies go along, like Godzilla gets more and more anthropomorphic. You know what I'm trying. Anthropomorphic. Like he has like these more like human characteristics. Like, I, I, and I love how um, in the movie, like Godzilla has like this kind of flapping arm motion when he walks. It kind of like where you have like how you position your arms to do like a chicken wing motion. Yeah, and this isn't the only movie he does it where he gets the flappies. And it's really fun. Because he was kind of flapping his arms. He was, like, kicking dirt on King Kong in the first one. Yeah. 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 And they, and they said um, they base Mechagodzilla's movements, like, his, like, kind of static movement based off, like, the formal movements in Kabuki. Okay, I can see Oh, that. shit. Yeah. Okay. I thought there was something up with his movements because, you know, they're, they're supposed to be different from Godzilla, but, like, they're more, like, you know, coordinated, which could be also, you could say he's a robot, but that's cool. Man. And, and, and plus, like, 
even though this like when this movie came out, it wasn't like super highly praised. It's kind of just kind of one of uh, the series had kind of been in a bit of a lull. But I did say um, people did say this was one of the better of of like a, a, a bad quote bad batch. We'll be the judge of that. But um, I will say one of the most visually impressive moments of the film when Mechagodzilla just says "fuck y'all" and uses every one of his weapons at once, like yes! lasers, missiles, bombs, yes! fire breath, all going off at the same time. And oh it goes my god! On for like five minutes, it seems like. But it's so badass. The it final is. fight is just amazing. I loved it. I I lost my freaking mind. I I was enthralled. Man, it was so good. Like, and then also like we get bloody scenes again with Godzilla. I, I, I again, I remember being terrified because he got shot with those needles, and then to get rid of them, he does his special lightning, lightning build up, charge up. Oh my gosh! And then, woo! Yeah, because go ahead. Mecha Godzilla literally comes for Godzilla's neck because he flies around too. It's like this. You know, like this little sort of jet plane motion, and he and he sideswipes Godzilla, cutting his neck, and you just see just spraying blood. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just nicked an artery. Like, Godzilla is, like, covered in blood by the end of it, and it's all of his own. So, yeah, Godzilla gets put to the ringer, but then, like, he pulls out his special ability that you really only see in this movie, where he, like, turns on this electrical charge and becomes this giant magnet. Magnet. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, but I'll take it. <laughs> and then he pulls back a Godzilla towards him. Him and she's all just... Like they Tag break, team. They break his neck off. Yeah, it, it, Which was, was so sick, it. too. That was awesome. Like they, 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 uh, King Caesar and Godzilla, they made a good team. And like Mechagodzilla was like a, a formidable opponent, for sure. So, like, um, overall, like, kind of wrapping up with this one, um, would this be one of our recommendations for general kaiju viewing or or to a newbie? Sort of like, just sort of last thoughts as well. Y'all? The thing is with this movie, it wasn't bad. It's just that when I watched it, I was running on four hours of sleep. And I may have slept through a little bit of it. It was one of those where your eyes are open, but you see nothing. Yeah, you're just completely unconscious. Yeah, but I was awake for what uh, happened with the monsters. The monster fights were what that's what woke me up uh, every few minutes or so. And uh, going off what I remember from the monster fights and what I remember with the human stuff. Because I, I remember thinking, who the fuck shot that guy then? I don't... And then I fell asleep. Uh, I think it's going to be one that I feel like you should watch the other Godzillas first. This should be like a final battle type situation. Where you w- watch this one after you watch a few other Godzillas. I understand, because like, this is definitely like a high point in terms of like spectacle, I think at least. So you kind of like don't want to start too high and... Made the other seem a little small by comparison. Yeah. Makes sense. It, it, like, sort of narratively, it makes more sense to get used to Godzilla in other contexts before he fights his robot version. Um, I was going to say, I, I definitely recommend it highly. Uh, I think I think definitely start, you know, you know, start with other films before getting to this one. 
because you you meet pretty much an integral uh, antagonist for Godzilla in later films, and Pat just sent these pictures of Mechagodzilla uh, design art and uh, what he looked like on set. Uh, God damn, that that was one of my things about this film is I love love OG Mechagodzilla's design. It's one of my favorite designs of a kaiju ever. Uh, I love um, King Caesar's design as well, but god damn, OG Mechagodzilla is so sick. Um, I can see the inspiration uh, for Jet Jaguar coming down the line in the future. Because <laughs> uh, Jet Jaguar looks like Mechagodzilla a little bit, but a little bit more simplistic. Yeah. And uh, I will say, um, with God- Mechagodzilla's design, it was inspired by. Um, medieval European white armor and yeah and, and obviously like some designers that thought it was think Stingpunk inspired and like apparently in order to illustrate what they wanted to do with God Mecha Godzilla and when the in the initial planning stage they took a Godzilla toy and bashed it with a hammer to get sort of the flattened aspects of it to illustrate <laughs> what they wanted to do with it. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> We're cheap, I guess. I guess, and and also, what's interesting is that the the original Mecha Godzilla suit is one of the uh, last remaining suits from the era that's still in good condition. Yeah, and, and and plus, and pretty much entirely uh, still together. Okay, a lot of people are just kind of piecemeal from what's been left, and they have the entire Mecha Godzilla suit from this movie on display at their museum. That's cool. Which is impressive considering how a lot of it was sort of, a lot of stuff was recycled and reused to the point of disintegration or they just sort of devolved over time. For this to still exist more or less in its original form is incredible. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I wish, I wish as a kid, because I have so many uh, vinyl Godzilla toys now, I wish I would have hopped on the OG one when I was a kid. I just, I didn't. Man, I'd love to have it. Yeah. This was one of the things, is that, for some reason, I kept wanting to call Caesar Kiryu, but then I just Googled it and I realized that's... Is that Mechagodzilla 2's name, or is that just a alternate name for just Mechagodzilla? Kiryu would technically be the third Mechagodzilla. Yeah, third Mechagodzilla. Okay, because I knew I heard that name related to Godzilla at some point. But, but you'll uh, we'll, have to wait to find out. Yeah, we'll get to that I'm one next time. Uh, so, um, just wrapping up on this show, uh, let's, why don't we go around the horn and give everyone's rankings, their personal rankings for the for the four films we watched today. Jonathan? Uh, at the bottom, for me, would be King Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, and probably tied with it would be King Kong Escapes, then Son of Godzilla, and then uh, Mecha Godzilla. Right. Colt? Uh, God, King Kong escapes very last. Uh, Godzilla vs. King Kong. Uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. And of course, number one, Manila. That's the movie. <laughs> That's the name of it now. It's called Manila. Mine, um, Godzilla vs. Uh, or it's, uh, is it King Kong vs. Godzilla? Yeah. Yeah. That one, bottom. Uh, tied with King Kong Escapes as well. They're kind of on the same spectrum, uh, or they're close to me. Um, and then, of course, uh, Son of Godzilla, 
and then first is um, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. Loved it. Good action. Uh, yeah, mine would be King Kong Escapes at the bottom, then King Kong vs. Godzilla. King Kong Escapes, King Kong vs. Godzilla, Son of Godzilla, a lot of fun. Trust us, uh, baby action, father-son action, it's a good time. And lastly, I think my favorite would be Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. Just a lot of spectacle, a lot of silly business with monkey aliens. It's, it's kind of hard to go wrong with it. Monkey. Monkey. Oh, but then also the lead or the head evil monkey alien gets fucking murked. He does. <laughs> that was good. He just gets shot. And plus, I love how you know he's the he's the leader of the monkey. He just has all these like spikes sticking out of his face at random points. Yeah. So like the um, eyes of a potato. <laughs> and Otto the octopus also likes Mechagodzilla. Otto octopus approves. That's what that's all I can really ask for. So, uh, thank you for listening today. We hope to just give you a nice little overview of what to expect from Godzilla films. There, there's a lot uh, more to cover, and we, we hope you enjoy uh, us going through those in the future, and we hope you join us for the rest of the month for all our other kaiju-related content. And you can follow us on, on our socials on Twitter and Facebook. Excuse me. Find our socials on Twitter and Instagram at HYCH Podcasts. Follow us on Letterboxd and Facebook and all you can hear and Twitch, twitch.tv slash all you can hear and Facebook. Excuse me. God damn it. I'm out of it today. <laughs> yeah. On, it's late. On the last one, you know. We say it every week. <laughs> and we like, review, subscribe on all our platforms, you know. SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify. And also... Check out our spinoff with um, with Justin. Uh, Cajun Greatness is a bi-weekly podcast where we, for me, Jonathan, Justin, and Cannon go through a Cage movie where we discuss it, do some some, some, some typical AYCH banner bullshit, and just have a good time. And that comes out every Thursday, or every other Thursday at 10 a.m. We hope you enjoy that because that's our first spinoff. And we got a lot more ideas. We hope you enjoy us over there, as well as our main feed. And lastly, you can follow me, Patrick, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm I'm really falling apart right now. <laughs> on Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox <laughs> at John Lost Name. My art on Facebook at John Lost His Name Art. God damn, I got it out. Okay, my name is Jonathan. You can follow me on Twitter at JWinIBOI24 and Letterbox at John Unsend12. My name Colt. Follow me on Twitter at Colt D zero zero. Uh, do me a favor and look at Manila, and just say I love you. I love you. You're so pretty. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening. I'm Winslow. You can follow me on Twitter at Winslow Wilkie. Follow my art Instagram at World Winslow. Go to my link tree. All of my links are there for Goodreads and Letterbox and whatever. Um, yeah, thank you for listening. And uh, monkey, monkey. <laughs>